0: Welcome to another edition of NAMT Radio. I'm your host Rob Lawrence and did you know September is National Preparedness Month, the month that encourages Americans to take action before, during and after an emergency. Every community in the US should be ready to respond to an infectious disease, outbreak, chemical or radiological release or national disaster. That's what's coming up in September. We're going to talk about emergency preparedness, and to help me do that, I'm delighted to welcome my guest this time around, and that's Dr. Matt Levy, Deputy Director of Emergency Medicine and Special Operations and Associate Professor of Emergency Medicine and Surgery at Johns Hopkins University. Dr. Levy, welcome to NEMT Radio. Hi there, and thanks so much for having me. Now, of course, I should also mention the really important bit to NAMT, and that is you are our medical director for our All Hazards Disaster Response Course. So thank you for being that person as well. Oh, thank you, Rob. Thank you. So let's uh, talk about preparedness in general. And uh, one of the things that NAMT has done has uh, obviously created the All Hazards Course, which you are the aforementioned medical
1: director of. Why do we need another course? That's really a great question, and um, and you know this is really a timely topic uh, with Preparedness Month coming up. You know, when we think about courses, and as a as a lifelong, adulthood long uh, EMS clinician myself, being having been an EMT, then a paramedic, and now as a medical director, you know, we hear about another course and we think, oh, another course to have to take, um, another alphabet soup certification. Uh, However, I think many of our listeners would agree that many of these courses sometimes fall short of uh, really embracing and speaking to the role and the unique needs of the pre-hospital EMS clinician community, and so when we set forth to look at the all-hazard disaster course and to kind of relaunch it and give it a, a, a real top-down uh, fresh look, one of the things we we wanted to be very true to and and to celebrate what it had already done is to make this about. EMS medicine and what we need our pre-hospital clinicians to know and what is relevant for them in in those first few minutes of response to one of these types of events.
0: And of course, you are the right man for the job. As you say, you've been that EMT, you've been that paramedic, of course, uh, you're now the professor. But, of course, your specialist subjects are exactly this. I mean, this is your your concentration, your research area, and therefore uh, this is your passion, right?
1: Yeah, this is certainly my passion. It, I, I think back to uh, many of us had to write an essay in high school or college about where they wanted to be in 10 or fifteen or 20 years, and uh, i'm I'm eternally give, uh, blessed and, and fortunate to to be able to say, uh, yeah, I'm where I wanted to be. so this is this has been a culmination of of lifelong interests in pre-hospital emergency care and disaster response. So if I may, I'm going to
0: pick out a few sort of uh, key things that uh, our course uh, offers teachers and obviously impresses upon those that are taking it. But uh, one of the first things that uh, you commend or we commend that everybody takes is a vulnerability analysis. What is that? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so uh, the term HVA or hazard vulnerability analysis or <clears throat> an assessment is a risk assessment. It's it's no different in philosophical concept to what we would do for any other assessment of a situation, uh, be it a patient, be it a scene, anything else like that. An HVA, though, occurs before the event even happened, right? So uh, the idea is that a vulnerability assessment helps guide where your opportunities are and strengths are, but also where where you might need to focus on on bolstering resources or bolstering readiness, uh, from the perspective of of being able to respond to a disaster. And you know, Rob, it's interesting because in the emergency medical services and uh, critical infrastructure community at large, we have really layers of missions within missions. Right at the end of the day. The mission is about the patient. It's about the patient and the population we serve. But we also have to be able to take care of ourselves, right? Because if we can't ensure that our own families, our own communities, our own workforce has that resilience, and we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. It becomes very difficult for us to effectuate our mission, and, and so so when we think about a vulnerability assessment, it's not just if that big tree in the parking lot is going to fall in the engine bay, or or you know if the bridge out of town washes out. Those are important too, but it's also important as to who's going to watch your kids if you get called into work, or what are you going to do if you run out of your medication. And, and so there's multiple layers of this. It can be daunting, but it starts off with very simple concrete steps. That's
0: excellent. And of course, yeah, you're right. As we are running into any and every emergency and that's one of the things that uh, really stands us apart from uh, from the average person uh, whilst we are running into that emergency, we're running away from the home and uh, you make an excellent point there that we must make sure that uh, everything's in order there in order for us to go and save other people. Uh, a point well made. Um one of the things that I picked up by, by going across the, the course, uh, Precy is, uh, effective communication. And we have seen in every emergency, every disaster, everything that, uh, that happens to us, the human race, the first battle, the first casualty is always communication. I mean, how can we solve that? How can we fix it?
1: Yeah, so so that's spot on. Uh, you know, there really are the classic teaching in disaster response and disaster medicine are that there are three C's that are going to fail in every disaster. Command, communication, coordination. And uh, we, we've really, I think, made a lot of headway in terms of command through things like the National Incident Management System and Incident Command and getting people to embrace that into everyday routine Response. I mean, listen. I it wasn't that way very long ago. Uh, you know, in my in my short career, which is nearly thirty years, uh, to see how far we've come as an industry has been remarkable. Um, but we still have some opportunity to go. But when we think about communication, uh, is an interesting phenomenon now, Rob, which is. Uh, the technology is no longer the limiting barrier, right? It used to be how well our technology systems could withstand and, and and hold up and and infrastructure failing. And those are real concerns now. But at the end of the day, it's the me to you conversation. It's how well can you effectively assess, formulate, and communicate whatever the problem is in front of you and share that in a concrete and, and succinct manner. Um, and doing that, and doing it well takes practice. It doesn't happen by accident. It takes practice. And so, I think the communications that we focus on for the all-hazards disaster course is first of all the, the the vocabulary, the nomenclature, the language associated with disaster response situations. Uh, but we also focus a lot about the on the need for effective both inter-team communications and then person-to-person communications. So uh, that's certainly one of the things we hope to help help bridge that gap. This is what I call one of my
0: robisms, but I will tell everybody that uh, you shouldn't be exchanging your business card at the point of the emergency or the point of the disaster. Uh, You should have those relationships with, uh, obviously, your own people, but from an interagency, mutual aid, those that may come to your rescue and support perspective, uh, it's beholden upon us at all levels to make sure that uh, those relationships are solid and sound before we get to the
1: day of the event that's exactly right. You know, it, it's really hard to, uh, at time at the moment of an event happening, really hard to to figure to, to build that relationship right then and there. Some of those relationships are are forged at that moment, and they end up being oftentimes incredibly important later on. Uh, but this is where. Uh, conferences, meetings, uh, doing what we're doing right now, sharing knowledge and practice, and connecting on topics becomes so very important. And in my own role now as a medical director and, and, and running a, uh, an EMS system, I spend a lot of my time meeting with people and dealing with that, so that when there is an issue that comes up, uh, it, it we can just get right to work. I have, as we're talking now, I have an ongoing text thread with the with the chief of one of the hospitals because we're working through a challenge, and right? that's just that doesn't happen by accident that happens with intent, and happens when recognizing that that when a disaster occurs or any event occurs, people are going to revert back to their their intrinsic baseline behaviors. So, how do we build good behaviors along the way and good uh, good relationships along the way? Well, that's uh, an
0: excellent example, actually. That yeah, indeed. And so we we need to be familiar because at the end of the day, we're going to come back to. Uh, the person that we've met that we know that we can work with um I was just going to make a comment on on sort of wider comms and obviously we've, we've spoken about that you know the personal encounter and the, and the professional eyeball to eyeball encounter but uh, one of the things that uh, struck me going back to 9 11 was that uh, when the commission or well, when the investigation occurred of course it, there was massive criticism of interagency communication interagency ability to communicate everything from the wrong, uh, uh, radio systems to nothing that didn't didn't speak to to, to the lack of familiarity um, and you think we'd learn a lesson from that and uh, fast forward uh, I'm currently uh, broadcasting out of the UK as I'm uh, over here on, on family time but uh, the in the UK uh, the city of Manchester had a bombing where Ariana, Ariana Grande was uh, was in a concert in Manchester and there was a suicide bomber um, and uh, that was an absolute tragedy. Uh, again, what is a bigger tragedy is all the things we've just talked about, communication, again, they've just published the inquiry, they've just had a very a high court, as I'd call it in the UK, hearing over this, an inquest, uh, an investigation, and, as I say, a major-level governmental report. Guess what the big-ticket item was? Failure to communicate. Yeah. Um, it's a lesson we identify but something we must make sure that we learn, and I always say there's a difference between a lesson identified and a lesson learned, and we have to learn this one because it seems like sometimes we just don't.
1: Yeah, and you know, if I could just echo that for a second, um, uh, because uh, being aware of the the Manchester event and actually collaborating with some some colleagues in the UK on some of the amazing work they're doing to move the system forward, there, I, I would say that that one of the challenges that we face during disaster preparedness and disaster response is that even though the frequency of disasters and complex events is rising at, quite candidly, an alarming rate, they are still relatively infrequent events. And so what ends up happening is these events get down-prioritized uh, and get triaged, if you'll pardon that pun, uh, to dealing with everyday routine challenges. Uh, the the, the fast-forward consequence of that is that people never really have an opportunity to get good or proficient at dealing with this. And so unless you make this part of your everyday practice... And you focus on these things. It's not going to work when you need it. You can't. Um, you know, if if you, you there are so many examples of, but you can't imagine that during a time of high stress and high demand, you're going to all of a sudden shift your concept of operations and do it smoothly and effortlessly. And as the first responders, the first ones on scene of these events, uh, what can we do to? Make sure that we can save as many people as possible from that time-critical illness or injury, but also set the response up for success. The cavalry will be coming, as we often say. It's going to take them a while. Uh, having been uh, part of the 9-11 response, I, I think back to some amazing heroic moments and some really sad moments as well. And um, yeah, there were communications challenges, uh, but also uh, we people adapt and overcome. And, and so what ends up happening is, is, unfortunately time goes by, people don't remember those lessons, that institutional knowledge gets lost. That's a real challenge.
0: So staying with the communication theme for a second, uh, of course, one of the other things that the course talks about is uh, mutual aid and Mm -hmm. interoperability. And of course, there's a difference between those two things. Uh, How would you define them?
1: Yeah. So so just to zoom out for one second, I'm going to come back to that question. Uh, The course really doesn't teach EMS clinicians how to practice EMS medicine. That was never the intent of this course, right? We get into uh, some of the nuances that you'll see with different disasters. I just want to make sure we touch on this. Things such as uh, the symptoms uh, and signs of, of a biologic agent or the various toxidromes. The management of radiation casualties, very briefly, those kinds of things. But but as you alluded to, this is as much an operations course as it is a medicine course. And it's much about how, how we do the medicine under these austere and challenging circumstances. Now... Um, to your question mutual aid interoperability versus uh, the various nuances there you know the way I choose to think about it is is people are providing mutual aid on a daily basis around the country and around the world right so none of us, None of us are existing in an island. Even even the islands that I work with don't exist in an island. They, they have support from across the across their body of water, right? So 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 getting help or, or receiving additional resources from outside of one's agency is at that core tenet of of mutual aid. And whether that's a, another medical resource or a technical resource or whatever the case may be, the interoperability speaks to how well do those resources in, uh, stitch together? Do they come together and do they interface with? the response that's already occurring. And so I view them as being interrelated terms. They're not synonymous, right? So you can have wonderful mutual aid and really, really suboptimal interoperability uh, where resources cannot communicate uh, via radio systems or uh, biotelemetry systems, but you also can have systems where, where the mutual aid doesn't even exist to begin with. So they, the two complement each other. You can't have one without the other.
0: And I'm going to quote you from now on, the Dr. Levy saying that uh, even your island isn't an island in a disaster. So uh, thank you for that. It's
1: one. Oh, my pleasure. It's absolutely true. I've had the <laughs> the discreet privilege uh, of working with some uh, some island nations in their disaster recoveries, and uh, and I will tell you that you know they too recognize that their ability to provide services is based upon outside resources coming in. So what does that look like and how do you do that? One of
0: our missions in any disaster is, uh, and I'm quoting Rob Duckworth here in the conversation I had with him the other day, is the, uh, you know, the forward movement of patients towards uh, definitive care, towards getting out of the scene to evacuating out. Um, Obviously there are triage and transport considerations. Um, There are transportation challenges. Uh, You know, what, in your experience, are the, the the key things that any leader or any anyone needs to think about when uh, putting a
1: plan together, or indeed responding on sign on scene? Yeah, so it's a really neat question, and <clears throat> I I think over the years and through experience and just practical perspectives on the world, I've had to reconsider um, how I how I and re, this, if you will. Um, I think about disasters, and um, let's just use the term mass casualty incident for a moment as uh, as as the as the maybe the symptom of a bigger disaster, um, but certainly uh, when, when we are responding in ZMS to a call, uh, we are oftentimes going to contextualize it as a mass casualty incident. It may not be apparent for through our lens at that moment how big the event is. It may be immediately apparent. That notwithstanding, um, a, as you've alluded to, the um, the management and the ultimate disposition of casualties is a, is a is a is an important point. Uh, let me use an example, Rob, if I can, for a second. Many many of us have seen uh, the very dramatic footage um, um, of the Indiana Indiana State Fair um, bridge, uh, not bridge uh, concert. Um, structure collapsed during a severe thunderstorm. And that event is, is heralded. Obviously, there was a preparedness piece that didn't go as well as it could have in terms of weather events and evacuations. But that response was heralded as an amazing response where they had everybody transported very quickly off that scene. And that didn't happen by accident, right? So, so one of the things that we're realizing is, is that during these events, be it the Ariana Grande uh, incident that you mentioned in Manchester, or be it um, be it some of the active assailant and active shooter events that we've seen around the world now, is that people are going to start helping people. And people are going to start self-evacuating. Uh, and those who cannot self-evacuate, those who are non-ambulatory or so critically injured, they're going to be the ones we're going to focus our resources on at first. So what does that have to do with your question, Um There's two pieces. The first is no longer can we assume that the problem is relegated exclusively to the scene. All right. So the first piece of that is that the scene is going to be on scene. There will be those who need our assistance, but we have to also be prepared for the fact that that hospital parking lot or that nearest um, area of, 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 of basically where people are gathering or assembly is going to be another scene. And so we have to think that through. That's one of the things I think that's changed in the past decade. Uh, the days of what I learned back in EMT school of, I, I, I affectionately say, red tarp, yellow tarp, green tarp, and we're going to line all the patients up there. And, you know, we've all seen that picture, Right. And that makes sense in a slower-moving mass casualty event and a transportation incident that's access restricted, stuff like that. But in some of these intentional attacks or intentional events or even dynamic scenes, we're not going to see that, and we have to we have to adjust our, our expectations accordingly. And just because the patients are off the scene doesn't mean that there aren't patients elsewhere to be addressed.
0: I think you make excellent points there. I I think there's a number of rules we need to bring into any training and any discussion is rule one is the walking wounded will walk. Rule two is those that can walk the wounded will walk them. And they will walk them to their their private vehicles, they'll walk them to their police cruisers, and then they will take them to the nearest point of definitive treatment. And that's to your point, where now we have one major incident in on scene. We now have another, and I think we saw this at Parklands particularly. We now have another major incident yeah. at the hospital because that's everyone's right. descended upon them.
1: Yeah, that I think the embodiment of that example is what happened in. Um, it was certain. Certainly, there's numerous examples, but I, the one that stands out in my mind is is what happened during Las Vegas during the Route 99 Harvest shooting, where um, this this. Relatively well-established community hospital in Las Vegas, Sunrise Hospital. Their parking lot became just a huge casualty reception area, and uh, that's that's what we need to expect. I, it's what a big part of my focus now, working with hospital leaders in my communities and my regions to help them. At least understand that's what they should expect. They shouldn't be surprised when that happens because that's what that's what people are going to do. You know, and walking wounded is an interesting term. Um, it, it, it kind of rolls off the tongue. Um, but who are we kidding? These people aren't walking. These people are running as fast as they can for their life to get out of there. You make an excellent and, point. Yes, um, and and you know uh, the challenge there is you're not going to be able to redirect them. You can get on your public address system on your on your ambulance or your your response vehicle and try to direct people, but. <laughs> They're, they're out of there, right? So so, and, and that's part of the reality of this. Now, here's the good news, Rob. The good news is there's been a lot that's been done over the past decade uh, in terms of fostering resilience in a community, um, and EMS has really been driving uh, uh, that that ship forward. And we think when I just really quick when I talk about resilience, there's lots of definitions of resilience out there. Certainly, the I.T. people have their definition. Um, different industries have their definitions. When I think of resilience, I think of the most simplistic definition, which is to bend, not break, right? And how can we bend and adapt to a challenge without breaking from it? And community resilience uh, is at the core of that, right? And and back seventy five years ago, back to World War II days, communities were very resilient, right? They had. You know, there was a lot more that you know they were going to do, and how do we get back to that a little bit? But foster net resilience, uh, bystander engagement, everything from stop the bleed and bystander courses. I I couldn't possibly do this podcast and not mention stop the bleed. I'm very proud of the work we've done stop the bleed over the years. Um, the the concept here, Rob, is very simply: how do we help people help themselves so that we can help others? And and that we also try to help um, bring that to light during the all hazard disaster course. And 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 that's been, a, I think, through that lens, as the medical editor and medical director of the course that I helped. Um, that's what I think I'd like to help having brought to it.
0: So we're going to pause there. Uh, thank you for the first half, an amazing discussion so far. I know we're going to carry on this discussion, but let's just uh, have a quick message. Over three decades ago, PHTLS, pre hospital trauma life support, transform the assessment and management of trauma patients in the field, improving quality of trauma patient care and saving lives around the world. The 10th edition of this trusted, comprehensive resource continues the PHTLS mission to promote excellence in trauma patient management by all pre-hospital care practitioners through global education. In the field, seconds count. The 10th edition of PHTLS pre-hospital trauma life support teaches and reinforces the principles of rapidly assessing a trauma patient using an orderly approach, immediately treating life-threatening problems as they are identified, and minimizing delays in initiating transport to an appropriate destination. To order your copy today, visit psglearning.com or follow the link in the show notes. And uh, we're back. And don't forget uh, to like and subscribe. If you're listening to us on a podcast platform, look at your phone. In the top right hand corner is a little but is a little checkbox. Check that. And of course, every time a new episode of NAMT Radio drops, you'll get notified that we're here. And you can continue to listen to us uh, in this series of podcasts. I have as my guest today Dr. Matt Levy, uh, the Deputy Director of Emergency Medicine and Special Operations from Johns Hopkins University. We've been talking so far about the NAMT uh, All Hazards uh, course and uh, great discussion so far. And uh, we talked about uh, how the scene moves from the incident to the hospital and certainly looking at other after action reports. The other scene is where the the parents, the bystanders, the press, the media, the mayor and everybody else is going to assemble to try and give out information and also gain information. And there becomes the, now the perennial sort of issue of who were the patients? Where are they? How do we know where they are? Uh, what can we tell you? That's now another major, and I'm, I'm coming back to the C word again, it's another major communication challenge. Any, any, yeah, any solutions?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I, I think that the solution is really going to be, this is going to sound cliche, so forgive me, but the solution really is going to be one that's derived out of the local community and the local resources because. There is no one-size-fits-all solution to this other than having good, well-established plans and, and having all of those stakeholders around the table. So uh, you, you touched on this concept of uh, family reunification, which becomes a very big challenge uh, during some of these events. Where where did people go? Remember, as we talked about a moment ago, some of these people will be, have been transported by EMS. Some will have self-presented. Uh, those who are conscious and are able to give us names and information, that'll be great. But there's going to be uh, a, a subset of patients who we're not going to know who they are and how do we deal with that. Uh, so there are practice guidelines and best practices that are out there to help communities build out reunification programs and, and, and those types of coordination efforts. Um, someone has to be the process owner in that rob someone has to within a community or an ems system someone's going to have to take the lead on that and uh going back to your uh, statement earlier on which is just so true um handing out business cards at the scene of an incident that ship has already sailed right so who's going to be you know the point person you're not going to be able to have a plan for every possible situation but you should expect there's going to be a need for family reunification and oftentimes that uh There's a families, there will be a convergence of people, media, resources, families to the hospitals. The the hospital security and safety uh, personnel are going to be overwhelmed with maintaining uh, some degree of of access control there. So there's a number of challenges that go hand in hand with that. But I think at the end of the day, uh, if you... If you have thought about that, and you can at least have a high-level plan as to who's going to take what piece of it, you're already ahead of the curve. And you can learn from the lessons in other places. Um, The the notion of things like triage tags and and all of these things that we think will help that we find, particularly in these faster-moving mass casualty events, they work for those who got a tag applied, but, but you know, not everyone's going to get that. so So, there needs to be a coordinated effort back to the other sea between the agencies involved as to who went where. and it it does take some time. Uh, we had a we had a a a mass shooting in Baltimore. It was not my hospital, but we had a man. but all the hospitals came together to help distribute casualties or I should say redistribute casualties. Um and it does take some time in the hours to days after the event to really line up who went where. And that's we're never going to delay life-saving interventions for non-life-saving interventions, and I think that's one of the key things that's important that everybody uh, realizes about disaster responses. We have to remember the priorities, okay? And chances are the priority does not involve a clipboard, okay? Uh, or does you know it may involve some some recording of who went where, but it's going to need to be in alignment with the overall priorities of, of the mission at that moment in time. You make an excellent point. Obviously, there is an
0: accountability requirement of the battalion chief or the supervisor looking after his people or her people, their people on scene. But of course, when the patients have have self-dispatched to the hospital, self-deployed, Etc. then you're right. There's a major effort to track them down. Uh, Mike, it's not a claim to fame. That's the wrong word, Matt, but uh, I was a gold support commander during the uh, uh, 77 London bombings. And what we discovered was that uh, after the the underground trains exploded and and people again fled and uh, the mainline railway stations closed until 1800 hours that evening. And you had tens of thousands of people at each mainline station And I actually deployed paramedics up the train, the major train lines to about 100 miles out to stand on the platforms with the bullhorn to say, if you were affected today, you know, come see me. And we had people covered in brick dust reporting in 100 miles away saying, yes, I I just walked away, but I think I'm hurt. Um, And so, yes, they go and you have to then collate them, catch them, you know, and identify who they are, uh, if not to treat them. But actually, maybe, of course, the other thing is in these major incidents, they're witnesses as well as uh, as well as victims and patients
1: yeah I'm glad you touched on that Rob. It's worthy of just just spending a quick moment mentioning that particularly for intentional events um uh, there's the added complexity that these are crime scenes right and and so we we i i would i wouldn't say that that's the focus of the all hazard disaster response course, but it certainly is something that we've also stitched in throughout the content is to remind people that while life saving um, life-saving emergency care is always the priority. We we also have to acknowledge that there's multiple other things happening at the same time, um, both for continuity of of government, but also for continuity of response. and 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 of course, there's the the law enforcement element that we have to work hand in hand with. And our law enforcement partners, they're lockstep on this. They 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 will never tell us, you know, delay your care uh, so we can preserve the crime scene. But they will say, please minimize. What you do uh, to disrupt the scene, so that we can try to um, we we can try to figure out forensically what happened later on. And, and there's other reasons for that too, back to safety. So what we did with this course, and I think it's interesting, is we really tried to put a course together that was meant to be through the eyes and the lens of the responding EMS clinician and. Uh, if i had it my way and i hope i do but i hope that this is a theme for other courses to follow it's not just resuscitation it's resuscitation when they're stuck between the toilet and the sink in the in 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 the bathroom or it's it's not just managing the airway it's managing the airway of someone who's in heavily entrapped right so there's multiple other examples of this and the, and i am not alone in my perspective that that As we as a profession, as EMS, as a specialty of medicine continues to evolve, we will have more and more opportunities for specialty specific training within the world that we work within, which is anywhere, everywhere, all the time. I
0: I have to tell you that I used to go into uh, the the VCU med school and give the EMS lecture to uh, the med students and uh, hopefully maybe convince some of them to get into EM. And, And my presentation, to your point, was actually entitled In the Alleyway by the Dumpster. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's, that's where we're doing all this stuff. And um, you know, the patients are not selected yet and we are doing the selection and we're also doing the treatment in the most bizarre and austere locations and circumstances. So yeah, yeah point well made. As we get close to time, I'll ask the usual Rob ending question. Is there anything I've forgotten to ask or Dr. Levy, anything you need to tell us?
1: Well, you know, I think we've talked about a lot, uh, today, Rob, we talked about the course it's Genesis, where it came from, what we hope to accomplish with it, um, you haven't asked me why people should take this course. And um, the answer is, is not, I could list a a bunch of reasons why people should take this course, uh, but it's more so for the reasons that I can't list. It's because we have given an incredible, been given an incredible gift in EMS, an incredible privilege uh, to take care of people at their darkest moments and to take care of people at that moment when they have lost control of a situation. And we owe it to the communities we serve and the people that we care for to be as medically uh, clinically and operationally optimized and ready to respond as possible. This course is not going to make you um, uh, an expedition medicine clinician uh, or a, a, an autonomous disaster responder, but this course is meant to give you a very nice overview of some of the considerations for the various types of disaster situations that our colleagues have found themselves in. So that's that would be my only thing I would say. Um, I I believe very strongly that the course is an in-progress it's going to continue to evolve and it's going to involve evolve and be informed by what happens next. So, um, so that's what I would say. And, you know, I hope that you uh, all will appreciate and share the passion I have for disaster medicine. And, uh, you know, I would, I feel free to reach out cause I, I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you think about it, what you like, what you don't like, uh, cause, uh, I'm deeply committed, uh, to, to our personnel and to, and to you, my colleagues. I'm glad I didn't ask
0: that question because you gave an absolutely great answer. So uh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for that. Um, Yeah, we we have covered a lot of ground. uh, And obviously, uh, as Dr. Levy just mentioned, uh, the course is there. Uh, As we said at the start, September is uh, preparedness month and there are a bucket load of resources. Obviously, visit naemt.org for anything uh, to do with uh, the EMS element of this also ready.gov and uh, cdc have a number and of course fema have a number of resources that you can tap into uh not only for your organization but for you you the guy on the truck you the guy in the in the corner office and of course your families so make sure that by the time you hear this podcast that comes out just a few days before september that you're ready for september and you're ready always uh so dr levy thank you so how can we follow you get in touch and uh, keep up with you
1: uh, sure. Well, uh, again, thanks Rob for taking the time to talk about this important topic. Um, I have a social media presence. It's probably not as as robust as it should be, but I you can follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, just Dr. Matt Levy is my LinkedIn handle, and that's also my Twitter handle, D R M A T T L E V Y. I try to push out as much content as possible through there. Uh, my email address is also available. It's just my last name, Levy at j is in Johns H M I dot edu Johns Hopkins medicalinstitute.edu, so levy at GHMI.edu. Aside from that, my phone number is on every bathroom wall in my uh, EMS system, so uh, you guys can find me that way too, but all kidding aside, thank you very, very much um, to our listeners. Thank you for taking the time to listen to us banter for a little while. We hope it was enjoyable, and and please be safe out there, And, um, and remember, there are those days when you feel like you're not making a difference. Trust me when I say you are making a difference, and also trust me when I say someone is always looking up to you as a role model and a mentor.
0: Thank you very much for those wise words. So as you heard uh, all the contact details that Dr. Levy gave you, we'll put in the show notes uh, along with all the other resources we mentioned. So that was another edition of NAMT Radio. Uh, we look forward to coming back in a couple of weeks. So uh, remember NAMT Radio editions drop every two weeks uh, across the year with some amazing topics and some fantastic guests. So for the moment, uh, Dr. Levy, thank you very much. and. Uh, Don't forget, to everything you need, all resources can be found at neemt.org. For the moment, I've been Rob Lawrence. This has been NEMT Radio. That was Dr. Levy, and until next time, bye for now.